of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to um, going to try and finish up the chapter tonight just by way of uh, kind of putting us back in context. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy has been speaking to Timothy about the theme of this chapter anyway is just being useful to the Master. And one of the things that he's encouraged Timothy to do is to remind others of the things that have been charged to him by the Lord and to encourage them not to strive about words and to be diligent to present themselves approved, himself approved to God, a worker not ashamed. He was talking a little bit about some of the false teachers that had been raised up and how important it was for Timothy to be a one who rightly divided the word of truth. And we looked at that last week, just the, the various ways that false doctrine comes into the church or you know, just and, and draws people away teachers that draw, even mem faithful members of the church, draw them away to themselves. Doctrines that just compete for the sound doctrine of the Word of God. And there's lots out there. There's lots to choose from. Uh, various cults that rise up also. Just various teachers even within the body of Christ as it was here. Paul writing to Timothy. He mentions by name Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. Those whose message to diligent remind others not to be caught up with this. And that's kind of the setting, and we're gonna, he's going to talk now a little bit about the, a vessel of honor and vessel of dishonor. All of this encouraging Timothy to be a man that would be useful to the Lord. And that's really what I, I hope as we conclude this chapter tonight that will somehow settle into your heart tonight a challenge that you would desire to be useful to the Lord. That just being a Christian which is wonderful to have to be saved, to have our sin desire to see us useful in his kingdom. I believe that's the, the, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus that the Apostle Paul talked about. And he said, I'm pressing for that. I, I haven't laid hold of all that yet. I haven't come into all that God has for me yet, but I'm telling you this, I'm pressing for it. I'm, I'm striving to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. You've got to consider tonight, young, old, whatever our age is, God has laid his hand on you. God has a hold of your life. If you're a born-again Christian, you've accepted him into your heart, you became his property. And Paul is encouraging Timothy to be useful. God has something for you, Timothy. God wants to use your life for his glory. It's the highest use of your life. Nothing else that you could do on your own, nothing else that you could plan for yourself would be as as beneficial to you and others as the purpose that God has planned for your life. So he is encouraging Timothy to, to reach for that, to strive for that, and to be that vessel of honor. We'll see that now through our study. We'll pick it up in verse 19. I, I don't know if I covered verse 19 last week or not, but it kind of transitions us to where we want to go tonight, which is verse 20 through 26. So after, he's, after he kind of warns about these false teachers, he says this in verse 19, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Timothy, no matter what happens amongst the, the false teaching in the church, no matter what, ha what goes on and what men tend to do and what, what men seem to be accomplishing, this foundation cannot be shaken. 
matter what we and for us today as well you know so many different doctrines rising up so many different ideas about church and competing for just good solid bible teaching and boy it's just you, you kind of get overwhelmed but remember this there's a there's a foundation that will not be shaken and it's the foundation that god has set in place nevertheless in spite of all this timothy this foundation stands the lord knows who are his god knows the hearts god knows the hearts of his people god knows who his sheep are we won't look at it tonight but if you want a little homework look at john chapter 10 where jesus talks about himself as being the good shepherd and the sheep he knows who his sheep are and his sheep know who he is. They, they know his voice, and they won't follow another. There is a foundation beneath all this, and we labor and we strive to teach the Bible, and we're endeavoring to, to, to dispel any false doctrines, but our confidence isn't in our ability to somehow, you know, stem the tide of false doctrine. My confidence tonight is in the foundation of God. He knows the hearts. He knows who belong to him, and those that belong to him know him, and they know his voice. And ultimately, they find their way to the shepherd. They find their way, and the shepherd makes sure that they find their way to him. This is the foundation. It's ultimately a confidence in God and his ability to look after and know his people. And not only this, he goes on to say there in verse 19, Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. This is another solid foundation within the kingdom of God, that those that belong to him, those that know the Lord, let them depart from iniquity. They will show fruits of salvation in their life. That's important. You can, Jesus said you, you can tell a, even a false prophet by his fruit. And the, the Bible encourages us in many places, although we are not saved by our works, now that we are saved, it will impact our works. It should change the way that we live. And this is a sure foundation of those that belong to God. It's you can see in Galatians, we don't turn to it, but in Galatians it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And I would like you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. And I want you to just look at what 1 John said concerning this. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. This is a foundational principle that Paul says, that in the body of Christ, those that belong to him, let them depart from iniquity. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7 it says this if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin the apostle John said look if if you say that you're a Christian, you say that you have fellowship with him, and yet your lifestyle continues to be a life of darkness and sin and deceit, there's something wrong. You're, you're, you're lying to yourself. You're kidding yourself. You're not walking and practicing the truth. Look also in chapter 2, same 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Now, by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
Actually, let's read on through verse 6. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. You can turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul encouraged Timothy. Timothy, so many things are going on in the church. So many false teachers are rising up and are men who claim to have special knowledge in, in, in doctrine and teaching their own doctrine. But listen, there's a couple of things that are foundational that you can, you can rest in. One, God knows who are His. And two, those that know Him are going to live in such a way that they know Him. And that's a way that we can measure false teachers. That's the way that you can look. And sometimes it doesn't show up right away, but over time, uh, you look to the fruit of teachers or, or those that follow a teaching and a doctrine, and you look to see, is the fruit, are they walking like, as Christ did? Are they walking in the light? Or do they claim to have fellowship with him, and yet their deeds are still in, done in darkness? Paul encourages Timothy with that foundation. He goes on, and we'll go on as well here in verse 20. But in a great house... There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. I just want to break this down for you bit by bit. But in a great house, Paul's giving a, another one of his word pictures, and what is he saying? What, is, what does the great house represent? Well, I believe the great house represents the professing church, those that claim to know and follow Christ. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Within this so-called Christian church, the professing church, there are vessels both of honor and dishonor. And I believe that Paul is referring directly back to some of those that he mentioned, those that are false teachers. Those are, would be vessels of dishonor. They're professing to know Christ. They are within the body of Christ teaching and carrying on ministry, but they are vessels of dishonor. But Paul is saying, look, in the church you're going to have vessels that are, that are honorable doing what God has called them to do. You're also going to have people that are dishonorable doing things that they're not supposed to be ever heard this saying, oh, I'm not going to church. There's too many hypocrites there. Well, amen, there are. There are vessels of dishonor even amongst the church. Jesus taught a parable about the wheat and the tares growing up together. Not all that call themselves Christian are Christians. Not all that claim to know Christ live in such a way that they really have fellowship with Christ. Paul is saying, look, in, a, in, in the body of Christ, in the house, the, the, this great house, the professing church, you will find both vessels. But he encourages Timothy to be a vessel of honor. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, what is the latter? The, the, that, those uh, those um, vessels of dishonor. If anyone cleanses himself from dishonorable vessels, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And that's what I want to talk about really the rest of our time here tonight, finishing out the chapter, is we want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be a vessel of honor. We sang it tonight. Lord, 
have your way in me. I want to be useful to the Lord. I want my life to be a vessel that he can use. And, if, and I want it to be a vessel of honor. First of all, he says you're going to have to cleanse yourself. And we'll just, the rest of my points tonight, what, in, what is involved in being a vessel of honor? First of all, you're going to have to cleanse yourself from what Paul says is the latter. And that would be vessels of dishonor, false teachers, false doctrine, compromised believers, believers that are not living their heart for the Lord. I can tell you what, I've been that kind of a believer. There was a time when I was a believer in Christ, but I was living in compromise and in sin. I wasn't serving the Lord with all my heart. I was what you would call backslidden. I, had not, I was not serving the Lord in the way that I knew I should and the way I had even once had. And I'd fallen back and just gotten my life entangled in sin and selfishness and all the things of the world creeping back into your life. Paul is saying if you're going to be a vessel of honor, you're going to have to separate yourself from those dishonorable vessels. There needs to be a separation. If people want to live, even as Christians want to live in sin and don't want to serve the Lord, then you know what? Those that want to serve the Lord, you're, you're not going to be able to continue to hang and fellowship and be close with those individuals. You're not going to be... Here's the, the reality. If you're going to go all the way with God, if you really want to press in and go the distance with the Lord, you're going to have to make some tough choices. You're going to have to, to set yourself apart and set yourself to this task. It's not going to happen by osmosis. It's not going to happen automatically. It doesn't happen by just coming to church and, and kind of singing a few songs, hanging out with church people. No, you're going to have to really set yourself to seek the Lord. And Paul is encouraging Timothy to do this. Vessels of dishonor. Let me give you a couple of other verses. Proverbs 13, verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Why would Paul have to say, don't be deceived? What would the deception be? He says, don't be deceived. Bad company will corrupt good habits, good morals. Here's the deception. Here's the tendency to be deceived. That I can be around the people I want to be around, and I can still be the Christian I want to be. I can live with and, and hang with the friends that I choose. I can go to the places that, that they go. I, I, it, it's not going to affect me. I can enjoy and indulge in the kind of entertainment that the world takes in. I can go to the same kind of movies. I can watch the same kind of shows because I'm a Christian, and I know it's not going to affect me. I'm not going to be tainted by these things. I can hear that language. I can watch those things. It's not going to affect me. I can go with these guys. They're good people. We have a good time. There's no, it's no big deal. I'm not participating. I'm not using the same language. They, I'm, I'm okay. I can, be, I can still be a good Christian. That's what Paul is warning against. That is a deception. You are kidding yourself. If you believe that you can cozy up with the world, cozy up with compromised believers who don't want to go the distance with God, and that you will not be affected, you will not change, your heart will not be in any way impacted, you are deceived. Bad company will corrupt 
even good spiritual habits. You will be affected. You will be impacted. Now, it's not to, I'm not saying that we just somehow cocoon ourselves away from the world, right? Oh, oh I can't have any non-Christian friends. I can't ever talk to anybody that's not going, you know, on fire for the Lord. I'm not, I'm not saying that you remove yourself out of the world, but I'm saying you make a choice about who you're going to be close with and who you're going to fellowship with in an intimate way. I want to be around the people that are after the Lord. And I don't know if you've ever been around people that are not after the Lord, but you know what? They, it, over time, they have an impact on you. You tend to kind of end up laughing at their jokes. You kind of end up going to their part. It just it, 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 it compromises you. So our, imp, our influence needs to be one way. We influence others to come up to the standard of Christ that we're wanting to live to. We are not willing to go that way, compromise and begin to corrupt ourselves. Paul is saying, you want to be a vessel of honor, Timothy? You're going to have to cleanse yourselves from all these vessels of dishonor, those that are not after the things of the Lord. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to associate with those that have the same desires, spirit, good spiritual desires that you have. Sanctified. He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified. What does that word mean, sanctified? And that's verse, chapter, uh, verse 21. I'm back in 2 Timothy 2. It means set apart. Exactly. And that set apart is twofold. Set apart from sin and set apart to God. I remove myself. I'm setting myself away from sinful conduct. And I am giving myself to God and His purposes and His will. Set apart for His use. Set apart for what He desires. You have to understand that your life is now His property. You belong to Him. And you've been set apart for His use. 2 Corinthians 5:15. He died for all, meaning Jesus, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Something happened when you became a Christian. Ownership was transferred to God. You became his, and your life was, is no longer your own to live as you desire. If you came to Christ, if you became a Christian under any other pretense, under any other idea, and I would challenge you to reconsider and reevaluate your commitment. If you, I know of only one way to become a Christian. It's via the cross. He who looks to save his life is going to lose it. But he who's willing to lose his life, he who's willing to exchange his life for, for mine, he's going to be saved. Christianity is not some. Jesus is not somebody that we add to our lives. It, he is somebody that we give our lives to. Lord, my, I want to be born again, born of the Spirit. It is a new life. What did we celebrate on Sunday? Baptism. What was the imagery there? What's that going down in the water mean? Help me. Burial. The old man is dead. Into the grave he goes. We almost didn't get Robbie buried. <laughs> Those that were here. That water was too cold for him. 
And what's the symbolism of coming up out of the water? The new man. Newness of life. Newness of spirit. You're sanctified. You're now set apart. You're set apart for the things that God has in mind for you. He also says that you're to be useful. Sanctified and useful for the master. This word useful... Sorry, I thought I had the Greek word for useful. I don't. <laughs> uh, no, I won't make it up. You belong to him. Let me quote you another verse. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Do you, know, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Useful. It's, it's yielding your life to the working of the Holy Spirit. It communicates this. It, it's not that, that I'm going to get out and get busy for God. No, it's that I'm now useful for God to get busy with my life. I'm a tool in the, in the Lord's hand. I'm not one of his little, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the, the picture here is not that we get out and get useful for God, but rather that God picks our lives up. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to live his life and purpose through us. I can't do it in my own strength. I can't accomplish anything for the Lord on my own in the flesh. I need the Spirit of God to work his grace through me. And a vessel of honor is useful to the Lord. His eyes are looking to and fro across the earth to, to find someone whose heart is perfect towards him, someone whose heart is loyal towards him, someone who is useful to him. God wants to use your life. God has not changed. God has not run out of things to do. God has not, you know, in any way become tired and weary of of you know, gosh, I'm tired of this whole, you know, getting people saved. I just, uh, you know, I don't have anything for you guys to do. Thanks for coming to the Lord, but there's nothing left, you know, I'm, and the Lord's kind of, no, God has, nothing's changed with God. If you're not, if your life is not being used by the Lord, if you're not seeing something going on through your life spiritually, it's not because God has stopped working. It's because your life is not available. You are not useful. God's looking to and fro across the earth. His eyes are searching for those that would be useful to him. I'm not trying to burden you with, oh my gosh, I've got to get useful. It's, it's, a mere, it's an attitude of heart. Lord, here am I. Send me. Lord, I'm willing. Lord, use my life in the way that you desire. Jesus, have your way in me. We sang it tonight. Have your way, Lord. I want you to use my life. And Paul is encouraging Timothy. A vessel of our honor will be very useful to the Lord. He's sanctified, set apart. He's useful for the Master. We know who the Master is. It's the Lord. Jesus Christ. His Spirit within us. Prepared. That's the, that's the one I had the Greek word for. Sorry. Hedomizo. Hedomazo is the Greek word prepared. Translates prepared. 
and it carries the idea of willingness and eagerness as well as readiness. I like that. Prepared for every good work, not just, you know, ready, but eager, willing. I remember uh, in my own life, there came a time, I've shared this with you, there came a time where I wanted my life to be used for the Lord so so desperately that it just it almost overwhelmed me. I, I would go into my room and I would fall on my face and I would cry. And I mean, just sobbing and tears and crying out to God, Lord, I want my life. You have to use my life. I, I, there's so, you've, put some, you've put a burden in me to be used by you and I will not be I will not be content until you begin to use my life. And I would see others being used. I would watch, we used to lead worship, and we would get uh, worship videos, and we would watch them to learn new music. And I would see the Lord using people in a wonderful way in the area of worship. Oh, it would just stir my heart. Oh, God, you know, just help us to to lead people in that way. Help us, Lord, to, to write music like that. Oh, God, that we could worship in that kind of intensity. Oh, Lord, that we could have people around that want to worship. And, you know, just that desire an eagerness, not a readiness, but an eager willingness to be used. I pray that that would happen in your heart as you draw close to the Lord, that you would be prepared. And that prepared is, Lord, I am ready. Say the word, God, give, you know, just, just turn me loose. Give me a task. I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. And God, I believe, will use that type of a heart. That is a heart that is prepared for the master, prepared for every good work. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has the works for you. God has good works prepared for you. And he has crafted you in such a way in Christ that you are perfectly fit for the task. Not in yourself, but in that which he has formed in you through his through Jesus Christ. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ephesians 3, 7. Concerning the gospel, Paul said, Of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Part of being prepared is being filled with the Holy Spirit and having His Spirit working through you. Paul said, I became a useful minister of the gospel because of this working that He was doing within me by His Spirit. He did the work in me and then through me according to the gift of grace of God given to me, the effective working of His power. Prepared means having the Spirit of God readying you for his task. Also a pure heart. A pure heart. Look at verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Someone that's going to be a vessel of honor is going to need a pure heart. He tells you something to flee. Flee youthful lusts. And he also tells you something to pursue. Pursue faith, righteousness, faith, love, peace with those of a pure heart. This idea of fleeing youthful lust, whenever I read that passage, I always think of Joseph in Potiphar's house. Some of you may know the story. Joseph was serving in Potiphar's house. He was a ruler in Egypt. Joseph was his servant. But this ruler's wife 
had eyes for Joseph. Joseph was a good-looking guy, good-looking young man, and, and the wife had aspirations for Joseph. And she began to try and tempt Joseph. Hey, when, when, when the master was out of the house, when Potiphar was out conducting business, the wife would come to Joseph and say, Hey, come. Come on, let's, let's fool around. Come lie with me. And Joseph said, No, I will not. I won't, do, I won't sin against the Lord. And he, and he resisted it. And he said, No, and no, and no, on several occasions. Eventually, she grabbed a hold of him. And God has got, her, got his, her hand around his, his clothing and said, Come on. Master's gone away. I, I, you know, she just wanted him to sin with her. And the Bible says that he fled the scene. He didn't hang around and, well, you know, let's talk. No, he fled the scene, and so much so that he left his garment behind. She left his, his garment in her hand. He ran from that sin. Flee youthful lusts. You know, there's so many opportunities today to be enticed by youthful lusts. I always think of, you know, the Internet. I think of the things that are, that are vying for our attention today, trying to entice us away. You don't, you don't kind of cruise around and, and say, well, you know, I can, I, it's not going to affect me. You flee. You do everything you need to do to keep yourself safe. If you have a problem with, with alcohol and drugs, you don't go to parties where those things are. You, you flee those things. You don't, you don't imagine that somehow you have this strength that you'll be able, oh, I can... I can dabble in these things. I can manage. I can no. You flee. You flee those things. Don't waste your time, men, ladies as well. Set protection around yourself. I mean, keep yourselves accountable one to another. You know, in our home, I mean, we have strict rules about internet. Not because we're trying to create some legalistic set of rules, but because we want to flee youthful. We don't want these things in our home. I don't want these things coming in and enticing. My children, myself, any of us. So the internet use has—we have restrict, we have set guidelines to try and keep that safe. And when there's no one home, no one accountable, we have password. We, we do things to try and and not. And it's not—it's not because we've got some problem we're trying to manage. We just don't want that problem to start managing us, and we know that it can. We flee, flee these things. You want to be useful to the Lord. You want to be a vessel of honor. Flee these youthful, youthful lusts, and instead pursue the things of God. Busy yourself after godliness, righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who have a pure heart. Fellowship with those that are after the Lord. Be with the people that want to talk about the Lord, that want to pray, that have a hunger for the Lord. Next on my list, verse 23, I'm, I'm calling this, Be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. We'll, we'll cover verse 25 in a moment. Verse 23 and 24, be a peacemaker. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, quarreling, strife. You know, even in the house of God, you can debate spiritual things and it can turn into strife. But even, you know, in the workplace, in our families, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord, listen, 
If you desire to be a servant of the Lord, you must not quarrel. You must not be argumentative, quarrelsome, difficult to be with. But rather, you need to be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. Gentleness, able to teach, patient, humility. These are the qualities that we see in a peacemaker. These are the qualities that we see in in a vessel of honor. And finally tonight, you must have a heart to save others. You must have a heart to save others. Verse 25 and 26. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken, taken captive by him to do his will. It's a desire to see others come to repentance and live in victory. This is what a a vessel of honor will accomplish. This is the fruit of a vessel of honor that's useful to the Lord. In humility, you correct others that are in opposition. James 5, verse 19 says this, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. There has to be a heart for your brothers and sisters of the Lord, for those that don't know, also those that don't know the Lord. There has to be a desire to save the people around you. Paul said, in humility, do this in humility, gently loving people back into the fellowship with the Lord. And he says this, in hopes that they would come to repentance, that they might know the truth, that they might come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You know, people imagine that they are free to do their own thing. But in reality, if you are not free in Christ... You are not free to do your own thing. You are really in bondage and ensnared. And in fact, you are doing the will of the enemy. You are doing the will of Satan, which is to see you rebelling and living against God. And you are accomplishing that will if you're not serving the Lord. And certainly we we know non-believers. You've probably known or do know some non-believers that are just ensnared. Some some are obvious. Some are involved in life-ruining habits and bondages and vices and oh they're just they're just captive to the devil they they've just they've led a life of compromise and, and yielding and they thought they were free when they started but they found out that they were ensnared by it later and Paul is encouraging Timothy Timothy you live in such a way that you will be able to rescue some of them and rescue them out of that trap that Satan is holding them in but i also believe that even in the body of Christ, even amongst Christians, that Satan looks to use individuals for his purposes. Be careful. Be careful how you live your life. Be careful what you think on. Be careful what you speak of. Even in the body of Christ, and I've seen this in churches, that where Satan finds the the weak link, he finds some disgruntled soul, someone who's just not as discontent with what's going on and, and all of a sudden they become verbal and they begin to you know I don't like what what's going on here that's not right and pretty soon you've got Satan has got a little foothold going on and 
what does he do with that? He works destruction into the very life of the church. We're not ignorant, Paul says, of his schemes. We recognize that the enemy has, is looking to ensnare. The enemy is looking to ensnare you individually, but also to set traps within the body of Christ. If he can get division going, if he can get some kind of sin going amongst leadership, if he can get something happening, he can actually work his will into the life of the church. So we want to be safe from that. We want to be protected from that. We want to live in such a way that God is using us to actually save people from that. And I definitely don't ever want to be find myself being useful to the enemy for those things. And it comes in very subtly, very deceptively. Usually it centers around something, usually centers around self. Usually centers around some hurt feeling that I have, something that I'm not being treated right, I'm not being appreciated, I they don't, something about me is, is wounded. And that's usually what festers and turns into a little bitterness and disgruntledness and set up. He's got a little base of operation. He begins to work. Unforgiveness and bitterness. The book of Hebrews said, be careful lest a root of bitterness be found among you, springing up, defiling men. That's the work of the enemy. Paul is encouraging Timothy to be a vessel of honor, useful, set apart, because you're to be out there saving people from this type of thing. Timothy, you're to, if you'll do your ministry, if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through your life, you'll actually be rescuing people from the snare of the enemy, bringing them into the freedom and liberty and the victory that is in Christ. And I'm telling you, there are so many Christians today that are not living in victory, not walking in the fullness of what God has for them. And it's because they are ensnared trapped with habits and things that are just not living victoriously. These are, these are admonitions for us all. I want to be a vessel of honor. I have to, may I have to flee some things. I may have to pursue some things. I may have to allow God to set you apart. You may have to choose your friends, your fellowship, your entertainment. You may have to make some, some commitments in your lifestyle to enjoy the victory that God has for you. Let me say this, there's nothing that you could give up for the Lord that you would ever regret. Those who put their hope and trust in Him shall not be disappointed. God will never disappoint you. More of God will never become a, 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 a disappointment to you. More of the Lord in our lives will always be a blessing. It will always produce something good. It will always be, oh God, what took me so long? Why do I wait so long to just get with it? What, what, you know, help me, Lord, from here forward. That's what Paul said. Forgetting what lies behind, I'm looking forward and I'm pressing toward that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to sing that song we sang tonight one last time. If Tony would go up to the keyboard and give us some accompaniment. Lord, I give you my heart. I'm going to ask you to stand with me tonight. And we'll close singing this song. I just think it's a, the words are very appropriate for our study here tonight.
We can have the words overhead. Is that possible? No? No, okay. It's not possible. No, no, let's do the whole song. This is my desire. tonight Lord all I can hope for tonight is that your word will come alive in our hearts by the power of your spirit I ask that for this for myself tonight Lord and I ask it for us as a people as a church Lord there's like the apostle Paul I have to say Lord I'm convinced that there is nothing good that dwells in me that is in my flesh. The only good that can come of my life is is the good that you bring by your Spirit. It's the good that you will work, Lord. There's coming a day, Lord, when the works of a man's life will be tested by fire. There will be wood, hay, and stubble that will be consumed, but there will also be precious things that will remain. Lord, that's the desire of our heart, to be vessels of honor, useful to the Master, 
prepared for every good work, sanctified, set apart for you. Oh, God, that you would work something of eternity through us, that there would be something that would stand the test of fire at the end of our lives, Lord, that we could see, God, look what you did. Look what you were able to accomplish through us, these earthen vessels. The glory is yours. It belongs to you, God. But, Lord, we desire it. We yearn for it. I'm hungry for it, God. God, make your word come alive in us, Lord. Even in the young people tonight that heard this word, Lord, the power is not in me. It's not in the presentation. It's in the word and the spirit of God working in the hearts. I entrust these people to you, Lord. We, these, these are your sheep. You know those that belong to you, Lord. And I pray that you will work in our lives, Lord, for your glory. We rest in that, God. Lord, may we not leave here tonight feeling some strain or burden that we have to do something or accomplish something. It's just simply yielding. It's simply cooperating with the grace of God. Lord, have your way. You'll do it, Lord. You're the one that does it. We simply learn to cooperate and yield with you. May it be a a night of peace. May it be a night of comfort, Lord. May it be a a sense that, God, you're going to use my life. As As I give place to you, as I set myself apart for you, you will use us in ways we never imagined. Thank you, Lord, for these words. Work them into our heart and life, we pray in Jesus' name.